Chris, welcome back to ECNZ. How you doing? I'm doing well, Dan. Yourself? Yeah, good, mate. How's your back from carrying me at Eden Park on Sunday? Is it okay? <laughs> I'm a little bit concerned. Do I need to pay for a chiropractor? No, no, it was all good, mate. It was, uh, it was fun, wasn't it? It was fun. It was. One thing I did identify about Sydney heading into that game, if there's a lot of experience, or I could be harsh and say they're quite an old team, but they're the ones who came out with the youthful exuberance in that opening sort of 15, 20 minutes, did they not? Yeah, look, I think they decided that they would have a go at the Phoenix quickly early in the game. Uh, they certainly pressed high. They had a plan that they wanted to do. And to be fair to them, they got some success without uh, getting an ultimate success as in the goal. Uh, but they certainly came out with the intention to do that. And when we got to the later end of the game, we could see why. They, they sort of ran out of ideas and sort of ran out of a, a little bit of steam. So the, the game plan was clearly to start quickly and see if they could disrupt uh, the Phoenix from playing. You called it almost um, immediately. Their fullbacks played inverted, so they tucked in, sort of almost joined the midfielders, giving a, a real sort of numerical advantage to Sydney in the middle of the park. And as a result, they were able to ca- sort of maintain a lot of position and work their way up the thirds. Once they got to the final third, though, Chris, it sort of fell a little bit flat, didn't it? Yeah, look, in football there, if you're going to score goals, you actually have to work beyond the back line, so the defenders are a little unsure. Uh, but especially in the first sort of 45 minutes, they Sydney seemed to work in front of the Phoenix back four continually. They were prepared to receive balls on the edge of the box. And I said at half-time that the nine, the nine in particular for Sydney, really was going to have to take a touch, drag defenders in closer to open up outside lateral channels and pass it off, which they did do in the second half. But certainly in the first half, there were a few crosses coming in and there were other bits and pieces, shots. They hit the, they hit the post and all sorts of things. But uh, to me, it was all controlled. The one hit the post, you know, if he gets that inside, it's definitely goal because I don't think Ollie's anywhere near it. But the reality was they didn't do enough to work beyond the back line of the Phoenix. So they never actually pulled them apart. So possession becomes kind of pointless if you just play in front of a team, unless you've got top-end pros that would be playing the English Premier League that can rip and stuff from 25, 30 metres at comfort. That wasn't what we saw. I think they overcomplicated it, and I think that it wasn't until the last sort of 10, 15 minutes um, that they really tried to get through the back line of the Phoenix. So I think that Sydney, for all their work right up into the, the, the top third, I think they had 60% possession in the end of the end of that game. But... For all the work they did, it was let down by a lack of incisiveness and an ability to either run or pass beyond the back line and then create chances that were there to be tucked away. Is there a newfound solidity in the Wellington Phoenix defensively? I think just two goals conceded in the last four games, bookending those, a clean sheet as we saw this past weekend, and a clean sheet to start that four-match run. They had looked fragile at times, but do you feel now that they're looking as strong as they have been defensively, which is pretty timely with, you know, a run into the playoffs upon us? I'm not sure that they're defensively stronger. I think they're mentally defensive stronger. I mean, to do what they did on the weekend, like the last 15 minutes, pretty much park the bus around the edge of the yard box, you have to make good decisions the whole time. So everybody needs to know exactly which runner they've got, 
who's picking up space, all this stuff, plenty of communication, and they're doing that really, really well. Albeit they're camped on the edge of their 18-yard box, which is a very, very risky game. Um, and then when they kind of won the ball, they didn't kind of counterattack with any sort of numbers because they were basically in a 5-4-1 situation. Um, even Zawada was dropping off, and he's probably only 30 metres out from the goal. Uh, but it's not a it's not a bad tactic if that's going to work for them. Um, I just question whether they get to the playoffs and they play, you know, the top teams, you know, Melbourne City and them. If you play them in the in the finals, um, they've got a little bit about them that could actually uh, put the Phoenix away. But there's definitely a mental solidity about them when it comes to defending, and that's really. Uh, more important than just all the physical attributes, you know, uh, a willingness to not concede goals, getting yourself in line, track runners, pick up players, block shots, all that sort of stuff. So they're doing that really, really well. So um, they're going to be hard to score against, but they're also going to concede more chances uh, playing that way. So the, it's a gamble. Uh, they might concede, you know, 10, 12 chances in, in a second half, uh, but if they're all from distance and Ollie's picking them up, then they'll be happy with that. Uh, the reality is if you come up against a team and they hit a couple clean and they go flying in, what's the next step? And, of course, they're always going to threaten at the other end, even when they are feeding off um, as little possession as they did have at Eden Park. Uh, you don't go through a season um, as long as this with having scored a goal in every single game as the Phoenix have without weapons. And Oscar Zavada up top is getting all the plaudits but they're a dangerous side now, aren't they? And they, they can come at you at different ways, the Wellington Phoenix. Yeah, they certainly can. I think the combination of Zavada and Ball is one of a real high industrious work rate by Ball. Uh, selfless running. He does a lot of running beyond the back balls of the opposition, therefore pulling him out of shape. Zavada's really good at receiving any longer balls coming in. And the Phoenix aren't shy about knocking longer balls into him. Uh, pulls it down, and the beauty of both of them is they've actually got two runners or two players that go in different runs into the box. When he cross, there's actually uh, uh, there's quite a lot of danger. Uh, even on the goals that Vala scored, he got up and he was heading it back across, but if he'd have put it back across goal, my recollection is there was one or two Phoenix players there on the, on the, far, the far post that would have just tucked it in for him. So they've got a lot of good things going for them up top. Um, and, of course, the Phoenix's 4-2-2-2 system, which everybody talks about, um, it's difficult for players to get a lot of crosses in, though uh, the cross, in, of course, for the first goal came from the left back. So, you know, they're, they're taking a lot of risks. They're playing in there, but those two up top, uh, especially Ball, I think, makes the system work because of his enormous work rate. We saw when he dropped out to play, basically right wing to protect um, Callum Elliott on the, on the fullback at times and then he'd be up top and he'd chase things down. Um, I think he's going to go down as one of the best imports the Phoenix ever had just for his longevity and his work rate which makes everything else work. Alright, all uh, Chris Milosic with us. He uh, provided expert analysis in the chair at Eden Park, the Wellington Phoenix, one goal to nil over Sydney FC and the news out of Auckland continues we'll focus on Auckland, not out of Auckland itself, but uh, expansion is coming to the A-League and uh, Auckland will get another crack. Of course, we can go back uh, almost a generation now. It seems a long, long time ago. Knights and Kings, of course. Uh, Chris, so much water still to go under the bridge as far as getting um, a a club up and running. 
I'm not sure uh, you and I should, uh, you know, pour blood, sweat and tears over that. But but you've got your fingers and, and sense right across the, the city and the football community. What? Why will this be any different to 18 years ago? I think it was off the top of my head. It might be an unfair question to put to you first up, but what's your gut feel about 2024 no. onwards? Well, I think it depends on how they set this entity up. If they set it up embracing the football community in Auckland, including all the clubs and all the personalities, and they encourage them to be inside the tents, it could be a a big success. If a single entity wants to do it by itself, run roughshod everybody, ignore all the protocols that exist within football, um, I think it'll once again not be a big success because it will fall over for lack of interest. The one thing about Auckland, and especially the football community, they're quite happy to you know, go at hammer and tongs at each other every week in their club stuff, but they would love an opportunity to support a well-run, well-coached, well-resourced football team that allows them to, on a regular basis, go and support them at a football-based ground. I think that's really important. And if I think that happens, uh, winning and being successful and all the other bits and engaging with the club and the community, it could become quite a big club quite quickly because Auckland does have, I think it's 1.7 million people. And there's an incredible amount of uh, people that have come from other parts of the world in in Auckland in particular that love football. I mean, up here there's, there's leagues... You know, they got. I think it's. I think they call them the Korean leagues, and they have like 30 teams playing and all sorts of things that nobody really engages. So if someone's, if the club is prepared to engage in all the football communities, there is no reason why it couldn't be success with big crowds and big numbers. What are you? What's your sense of um, the appetite? Are you there, Chris? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now, mate. I've lost you there. Oh, sorry. I don't know what happened there. Uh, do, do I detect some sort of scepticism that there will be, um, you know, a broad church approach here, the one you're certainly calling for? Um, you know, what do you know about people who might be interested? Because, boy, oh boy they need a sizable... Well, be able, need to be able to cut a quite a big check. Yeah, well, it's $25 million, my understanding, to go into the A-League. Um, I wonder if all the... Um, metrics are going to be requested of that brand new entity that fulfills the entity uh, the requirements of all the other A-League teams. When you put $25 million up, what are the uh, commercial realities or what are the commercial opportunities for you to start recouping that money quite quickly? And so what would be in place? So from a business point of view, there's going to obviously have to be a, a, a somebody or a group of somebody's prepared to put that sort of money up. And once that sort of money goes up, uh, they're going to have a say in what goes on. And it's going to be... So that could be a problem in the fact that we're going to do it our way, we're going to ignore everybody, we can do it better, we can do this, we can do that. It will fall over if that happens for no other reason. Um, You need supporters, you need people coming in, you need people buying shirts, you need people attending the match, you need people caring. And that's only going to happen if the, the club itself or the entity that starts it realises very quickly there are loads of people in Auckland that want to be part of it or in some shape or form of it. It's a fan, supporter or whatever. Um, you're going to have to embrace that. But if they do it just as a purely business 
uh, decision. I'm never sure that buying $25 million for a competition that have teams that pull four <laughs> 5,000 people in a gate is ever going to be a good business decision. So it's, you know, so that's where my scepticism comes from. And then if somebody tries to do it on the cheap, it's never going to, it's never going to run properly because you're never going to have the resources you need to develop the players you need to become really competitive. Yeah, indeed, Chris. Uh, that's why I say there's a lot of water to go under the bridge, a torrent, a torrent of water to go under the bridge. Where should they play, though? Where should they play? Is there an obvious venue in Auckland that they should play? Yeah, I, I believe they've got to play at one of the football grounds, so Mount Smart, somewhere where you're, you're quite close to the sideline. It's it's real. It's impactful. The problem with Eden Park is it's got those enormous um, areas, dead areas around the pitch. Um, it's also extremely expensive to hire. Um You've got to make a home, and you've got to make a home for people that want to turn up and be right next to the the, the game. And I often think that a rectangular stadium, um, you can get all your home fans down one area, away fans down the other area, end, and you can build something really quite special, very similar to what's happened in Europe. I'm not saying Mount Smart's the place. I personally, I'd like to find them at a 15,000-seater stadium, so it's packed and it's humming. Um, but I think to go to Eden Park, you'd always be looking at the empty seats and you could have 15,000 people there and people would be looking at all the empty seats going, nobody's coming. Perception is reality for people that want to support. So if you ended up with a 15,000-seater stadium and people couldn't buy tickets to become the demand for tickets, you'd be 15,000 every week, regardless of what you did. So they, they've got yep. a challenge. Do they build a new one? Do they go with an existing one? What does it look like? You know, that's going to be a huge challenge. Do they take an existing football ground and build it into a small boutique stadium? I don't know. That's going to be up to the people who own it. But none of that's cheap. But as I said, perception is reality. So they've got to make sure the perception is it's popular, it's people want to come, it's safe, it's easy to get to, it's near a train line, all the other bits and pieces that matter, and then they've got to really run it properly. Chris, always a treat to get you, getting you on the station, mate. Really do appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for dropping the knowledge on us. We'll catch up with you soon. Anytime, Daniel. Thanks, mate. Chris Milicic, the UEFA A coach, uh, joining us on the program. He was in the commentary position alongside me on Sunday for the Phoenix's one win over Sydney and knows the Auckland uh, football community far better than I. Interesting uh, observations about um, the potential future. It's pretty exciting, uh, nonetheless. I'm pretty shallow um, as a human being, generally. Um, I'm just excited at the prospect of a derby. I, I've been saying this not only um, as far as the A-League is concerned. I've also talked about this as far as the NRL and the AMBL. I'm desperate for a New Zealand derby. I think it would could add so much. I wouldn't say it will. It could. In my mind, it could add so much sort of you know, excitement um, around our one-off teams in those competitions. Uh, your thoughts are welcome. Double eight, double three. Bring on a derby. Here's question number one I want you to contribute to. What's the best derby in world football? Double eight, double three. What's the best derby you've been to? Drop us a line on double eight, double three. Uh, send through uh, the two teams and why it was so amazing. Uh, let me know. I want to know the best derbies in world football. Uh, and we all hope over the next couple of years um, this will become a reality. We will take a short break. Plenty more to come. We'll go inside the Wellington Phoenix men's and women's camps very shortly. Ufuk Tale and Mackenzie Barry out of the men's and women's respectively.